Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Titled the uh, the sermon "Grace Community in Our Community," we are part of the Greater Harrisburg community here, a uh, community with hundreds of thousands of people. If I read and understand the census right, depending how you count, uh, uh, from uh, Lebanon to Carlisle to uh, this area south, some even include York in that. Uh, a lot of people here in the central Pen- Pennsylvania, South Central Pennsylvania area. Grace community in our community. Well, if you're like me, uh, you two have visited a few castles in your day. Uh, I have faith and I have been uh, privileged upon different occasions to see different ones. We, took a, we visited missionaries and family uh, in Germany once and took a cruise down the, the, the Rhine River, saw the beautiful castles on the side. If you ever get an opportunity, I really... Really recommend that you do that. It's so beautiful. As you go to the Lorelei, uh, it's beautiful. Uh, or England, maybe. It's some of the great castles there. If not, you've all been to Disney World, right? There's a castle there. And <laughs> some, it's fake. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of disappointing. You always see that. And you go in it and you're like, is this all there is? It's kind of like that song, right? Is that, is that all there is to a, to a, well, you know the song. Anyway. Uh, but uh, these castles, except for the one in Disney, they're virtual fortresses, right? Providing safety, keeping all enemies out, surrounded by a moat. And, with, you know, you always have the idea they have, they have alligators in the molds and everything else. So and when the enemy comes, uh, you run in and up go the, the bridge and you're safe there, right? Listen, I say all that to say this. There are many who think that the local church, like Grace Community Church, or churches like ours around the world, uh, is to be like that, that we're to be like a fortress, a castle, that there are enemies out in the land, and we kind of all run in here, and boy, we're safe and secure, and isn't it nice? And inside the church walls, Christians gather and find safety among uh, friendship with one another, safety from worldly influences of the evil world. Well, there are many that think that. Now, it's true that we enjoy being together. We go out there, if we're serving the Lord 24-7, get knocked around, get knocked around in life. It's great to gather with God's people. I've got to tell you, it is. Um, in my years of business, it was great. Just, you know, you get out there, there's so many reasons to be disappointed or uh, strategies don't work or something happens or things happen in your family, things happen in life. It's called life in a fallen world. To gather with God's people. And uh, to live life with God's people, and to share life with God's people, and to sing, sometimes with a tear, sometimes with great joy and exuberance. Most of the time, it's sort of in between the peaks and the valleys, right? It's great. We love that. But listen, we don't belong here uh, through the week. Don't hang around here after the elders want to lock up and close, or Jay does, right? So, you know, I mean, you can if you want, but we are, we are met to assemble here, and we're thankful for the place God's provided But the church needs to scatter into the community, yea, into the world. That's the reason for it. 
Now, I'm on a lot of blood pressure medicine, though it's done better since my surgery. A little of this and a little of that. And one thing I go in uh, next week, not this week, following, I go in to see the doctor again, and they'll take the pressure. And I always get the lecture, no salt. No salt. Terry, no salt. I love salt. I mean, salt really adds the flavor. Now, I've, don't tell them, but I've, if I do have French fries, not that often, I, I have to put salt on them, okay? I do eat French fries without salt on them. That's like, I'd rather die, you know, like, <laughs> right? You're with me on that? But don't tell my cardiologist, please, okay? Uh, the other things, and Faith, she's never salt much. She's, she does so good with seasoning and other thing, salt. But salt left in the salt shaker, uh, that's so good, right? That's what you are. If you know Christ the Lord as Savior, you're salt. You got you to gotta sprinkle it out. And that's what God has called us to. I know that. And if you're here and you know Christ and you're warm and breathing, God has something for you and for me to do, right? We raise our families, we do what we need to do, but there's something bigger and beyond that. And that's what God wants us to be, salt and light, to make disciples, to be an influence, to be Christ to all that we should meet in character and voice, those at school, those at work, those in our neighborhood. Let the love of Christ flow through you. That's salt. That's what he wants you to be and for me to be. That's what we need to be as a church. And so uh, the inside the wall, the church walls, we gather and we're safe, uh, but uh, this is not us. This is not grace. This way of thinking suggests that the church is to be somehow separated. We need to cloister up. You know, like the world's bad out there, I'm going to sign up with a monastery, right? I'm going to leave the world behind. No way. There's no sign up here for that. Don't even ask. You know, like, I, but I get so tired, and the world is so decadent and whatever. You know, there was a, and, and you read church history in the Middle Ages and the monastic era. Uh, Simon the Stylite was like that, you know. Simon was a part of a monastery, and he said, I'm so fed up with the world, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up on a pole, and I'm going to stay up there. I'm going to leave the world. And he did. He sat up there. Now imagine this guy. He sat up there, and I've, uh, if I remember right, it was like 30 years of his life. And they, they bring up food to him, and he dropped down stuff, and he sat up there, right? And one day he finally came down. And they asked him, you know, how was it, you know, up there? And he said, you know what? He discovered he went up there as a, I believe he was redeemed. I hope he was. I, I, I was a sinful saint, and I came down. I was a sinful saint, and it, what was all that about? That was stupid. That was dumb. None of that. We're not a castle. We're not monastic. We're to gather, to be encouraged, to pray, to worship, to learn, to grow in our discipleship, and then we scatter to make disciples. That's the church. That's it. That's what we're doing. There are a lot of strange thoughts that float around insofar as what the church is but most of it's unbiblical. We, some will say, well, we don't mix. We don't mix with the unsaved. It's dirty. It's messy. I, I don't like it. I don't like their weight. Well, that's unbiblical. That monastic mindset, it is. It is messy. It's uh, uncomfortable. Uh, people say all kinds of things to you. They say them to me. You know, <laughs> It's amazing. And to you. Even in my own family. They're not all where they ought to be. And, and, and a number of times, faith and I are misunderstood. But we represent Christ to them in our family, and we have for years, and wherever in our neighborhood. 
you know, we're reaching out to people, befriending them, loving them. We want to do that as a church, individually and corporately. That's where we're headed here today. So the attitude of we don't mix. There was an era not too many years ago, and still happens, and I hear about it, where the pastor will preach a lot on separation, 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 you know, separation. And, and yet at the same time, talk about evangelism. Well, the people are so afraid to go out there and scatter that they never have any contact with, with people that are non-Christians. And so that is not the message of the Bible at all, is it? Well, the big problem is, is that this whole notion of not mixing and remaining separate in the castle, as it were, is completely unbiblical. I challenge you, be a Berean. Prove me wrong on that. Say, look, Pastor, look at this chapter and verse. You are wrong on that. Look, the Bible is our authority, and the Bible never teaches that. It's unbiblical. Now, remember where we've been, saying in this series, I have it on your list, what, who are we to be here at Creighton? We're a worshiping church, worthship, and we do it individually all week long. We ought to have the highest and loftiest thoughts of God and His grandeur, His sovereignty, His power, His creator, His redeemer. He's faithful, loving, and kind. He's good. And so we ought to worship Him. But then we gather together to worship, uh, and it's a glorious time. So worship as we praise and sing and give attentiveness to the Word. That's who we are. Second, we're to be discipling. What are we producing here? What is it? Is it the holy huddle? We just, uh, you know, sing to ourselves and hug each other? No, that's not it. It has a place. But we're making disciples. What is the church doing? Make disciples. Jesus is almost his last words. Uh, in, in the uh, days following his resurrection, what are we to do now? Lord? Make disciples. People have to hear the gospel. They have to come close enough first, right? Then faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. They hear the wonderful words of life, right? And God saves some. He calls some out. And then we pour our life into them in teaching them all things that Jesus has given us to us in the Word. So we're discipling. But more than that, we're a loving church, right? That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. We talked about that last week, loving each other deeply from the heart in the love of Christ that ought to flow through us. You don't even need to be trained in it. If you're saved, the Bible tells us that God has already taught us to do that. You ever meet believers far away and you discover they're Christian? There's an instant rapport. It's a wonderful, sweet thing. And that we need to be a loving church. A church that's uh, torn apart by sin uh, and divided will never be effective in training and reaching the lost. The people come in and go like, I don't know what's going on there. I'm not going back to that place. They're a bunch of nuts. You know, you can feel that. And you can feel that, that, uh, that division, that flesh, that bitterness, that unforgiving spirit. And God help us to deal with our sin daily, weekly, and be generous and humble in that. But more than that, and today we're looking at, we need to be an impacting body of believers into our community. We are sent out by Christ to be salt and light and in our community. Get out of the salt shaker. This is our mission. Our world's hurting. Have you noticed? If you just notice and talk to folks, you'll discover it everywhere. I see it everywhere. Oh, there are moments of high and we won the game and scored a kickoff. We scored on the kickoff or we did this or that or I got the sale in business or things are going well. I feel healthy today. Wow, you know, feeling pretty good. 
But if you listen in the long run, there are people all around you that God has strategically placed. Did you know that? God never said, well, I didn't know they were near him. Right? I didn't know they're, they're your neighbor. You should have let me know that. I didn't know. God has placed you and me in strategic places to be his ambassadors and blessings to all that we should meet. We are to be Jesus Christ to them. The written epistle. Look at people, if they don't have the Bible, they don't go to church, they don't know the Lord, they're reading you. The, the Word of God is written on your heart. Paul said that. You are their epistle, known and read by all people. They, they see Christ in you, or they should. Our world's hurting and really needs genuine, here's the key word, genuine, make sure it's right from the heart out, authentic, be real. Don't be plastic, phony, you know, that kind of nonsense. Let the joy of the Lord radiate. doesn't mean you have a pasted-on smile all the time. That's nonsense. That's fake as a $3 bill, all right? But there ought to be joy, and there ought to be, you know, a sense of hope, right, and reality in your life and mine that is, uh, believe me, it's so different from everyone else. People are like, what is up with, okay? And God will use that, and people will approach and say, what? What, why are you so different? And, and people will ask you of the hope that lies within you. They will. What, what makes you tick? And you have a wonderful opportunity to say, I love the Lord. He's not only my creator, but he saved me, and I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm telling you, in our post-Christian day, in the culture of our day, that will be so dramatically different. People will probably say, if you've talked small talk with them, then you'll get to talk the big talk, and they'll say, I've got to have lunch with you. You've got to tell me about this, you know? Some will believe. Others won't. Some will say, I'll hear you tomorrow, manana. But some will say, I want to hear more about this. And it's only natural then, as you and I do this, that uh, we share Jesus with them. Get the long view. You don't have to dump on people. For years I thought, I've got to tell them the whole spiel, you know, or I'm not faithful. No, don't even say anything. Just love people. Love the unsaved. Love the neighbor. Just befriend them and genuinely love them. And, and unless I forget to say it, never, never, never make anyone your project. I hate that. You ever been anyone's project? I was somebody's project in school. You know, like, you know, we got to help this guy because uh, <laughs> Miss Woodworth's going to quit after this year with him in her first year of teaching. You know, I wore gum on my nose more time in seventh grade English and I have, and you know, some tried to make me their. Pro Don't make anyone your project. Just love them genuinely, authentically, and trust in the sovereignty of God to work through the likes of us. It's amazing He works through any of us. What do we have to offer? Your brilliance? I don't think so. You're certainly not beautiful, right? Are any of us? Right? It's fading. Some of the younger ladies get so beautiful. You know, but the flower fades. Don't we know that, guys, right? The hair turns white and falls out. We limp around with canes. And it's the days I used to be, and I want, and, we, and the memories. And they get, you know, I get better as years go on as I think about the, <laughs> you know, forget it. You know how that goes. Well, anyway, I forgot what I was saying. But, uh, oh, oh, yeah, authentic, genuine Christians. We're to be Christ. Well, three quick questions First one will take a little longer on. Helping us to be a missional church impacting our community for Christ. It means that we must leave this castle mentality. Though we love being here, we love being together, and oh, how they love one another. 
But we've got to leave that way of thinking and impact our community with the love of Jesus. Truth is set aflame by evangelism. It is. We need to get our arms around that. I like to put a placard up and say, we at Grace Church exist for those in our community not yet saved. I think that really says it. Why do we exist? They have a holy huddle, sing a few songs, have a nice little prayer, pastor gives us a nice little, let's go home and do whatever. No, we exist for the purpose of those out in our greater Harrisburg area who are not yet saved, that we might see them discipled, growing in grace, becoming reproducers, and then as God has opportunity to go to various places around this world, to pray for those that go to places we can't go, and to send some others. And we do that through our missions and mission involvement. That's who we are. Well, the first question, why should we even care about our community? They seem like they're going to hell in a handbasket. Just let them go. Why be missional? Why should we be missionary-minded in our community? Well, quickly, and you know these, to do so is to be like God the Father, who sent, notice, His Son uh, into the world, uh, to provide salvation. He's sent his son to, to be our Savior. God, uh, the Father, is missional. And you, you all know John 3.16, and uh, you mostly have put it to memory, for God so loved the world, that's God the Father, that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his son, God the Father, is missional. Say, why should I be missional? God the Father. That's a pretty strong uh, example, don't you think? If that weren't enough, second, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. To do so, to be missional is to be like Jesus, who came to seek and to save that which is lost. You can check uh, even Mark uh, 10, 45 on that. Right? Jesus did not, while he was here, remain in a safe place. He didn't. Have you ever noticed that? You read the God. We're going to soon begin our study of the Gospel of Luke, the beloved physician. We're going to work our way through the life and ministry of Jesus. Don't want to miss that in the days that come. But when we study that, and many of you have studied the God, the Lord didn't remain in safely. He did. Oh, it's dangerous out there. Oh, my, you know. I'll stay in Nazareth. I'll just keep making uh, carpentry things, you know. I'll pray for the, for the world. No, he's, he, went, he, went, he faced it, did the Father's will completely, and he went among all sorts of people. Have you read that? He did not remain in safe places. He made contact with all sorts of people. Well, like what kind of people? Well, number one, it was Jesus' custom to have social contacts with, the Bible says, sinners. Look at Luke's Gospel, 15, uh, verses 1 and 2. You'll, you'll discover, now the tax collectors, they were the real bottom, the riffraff of that day. They were despised and hated. And the sinners, probably the harlots, the prostitutes, the really uh, the, the, the dregs of the earth, if you will, they were all gathering around to hear him. That's Jesus. But the Pharisees, they were the religious sect, and the teachers of the law muttered, look at this man, and in the mouths of enemy, don't you love the testimony of the mouths of, of your enemy? This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. Now, it's different than you and I going to Burger King and having a, a Whopper with somebody. And that day, when you ate with someone, you had them into your home. It was, uh, 
it went on for hours, and it was really uh, sharing your life and their life together. And, uh, and Jesus welcomed sinners. Look at that. It wasn't safe, uh, but he made, by pur- purposefully, social con- uh, contacts and made relationship, friendships, with lost people. He reached out to the outcast of his day, the tax collectors and the sinners. He ate with them. He spent time with them. It wasn't a flyby. It takes time. It takes time to develop relationships with those that are around you and, and, and me and, and our day-to-day life. But the Lord was purposeful in that. He was missional. He spent time. He cared for them. He taught them. Remember, he was the incarnation of God, the embodiment of love. What a strong example. God the Father was missional. Jesus' whole ministry was. Look at uh, number two in there, Jesus. Uh, the common sinners felt comfortable with him. It's, a, it's a, r- a rather amazing thing. This holy man of God never sinned, and uh, God made flesh, and yet the riffraff of the day felt comfortable with him, and he, wa- he didn't say, like, I'm holy, stay away, right? No, uh, or uh, I'm righteous, and you're utterly filthy, and you stink, and some of you have terrible diseases, but they felt comfortable with him. In, in Matthew 9, verse 10, just to make emphasis on this, the text says in Matthew 9, 10, that many of them, many of them, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew, that's a tax collector's house, many it wasn't just a few. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and with his disciples. They felt comfortable with him. How about you? When you think about the people that strategically are around you in the course of your life, your neighborhood, places where you work, would, would people there, would they, would they say, you know, would, are you welcoming, first of all? Are you winsome? Stop sucking on lemons, Right? Have a heart for people around you. We're all on a journey toward eternity in one way or the other. Have you even thought about it? Are they, are they uh, invited? Are they attracted to you? Uh, do they feel welcomed? You know, they should. We should have that mindset. With one hand, we hold on to the oracle of God, like Jude said. In the other hand, you reach out to, to people. That's the church out of the salt shaker. That's what you and I ought to be individually and us as a church. Well, he's called in 1119 of Matthew, he's called the friend of sinners. Wow, God. Abraham's called the friend of God, but Jesus in Matthew 1119 is called the friend of sinners. The downcast, the down and out, the imprisoned, the poor, the feeble, the, uh, the homeless, and everywhere in between. Uh, that was our Lord. That was his life and his ministry. The friend of sinners. What an epitaph. Wow. I wish that that would be a subtitle under my name, that people would say, I know that Z-man. You know, he is, he's a good guy. You know, he listens to me, talks to me, helps me. You know, I, I want that to be so much more increasingly as the days go by. And not to say, are you a card-carrying Christian? Okay, I can talk to you. Oh, you're not? I'm sorry. You know, have this castle mentality. Like, you know, and people don't understand that at all. God forbid. May we be humble and caring. Not forget the pit that we were dug from, each one of us, if you're saved. 
Well, Jesus' words in number four to the disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Last time I checked, to fish, you have to go where the fish are. Have you noticed that? It doesn't do any good. I got a, a Zebco fishing pole when I was a kid at the Kmart and uh, for like eight bucks. I loved it because it began with a Z, right? You got, you got to buy a Zebco. The Z's got to stick together. And I, I kept casting in my front yard. I got to get the hang of this because I was, in the initial ones, I was getting the hook in the neighbor's tree and losing some lures. I tied them on. And I was envisioning myself in the Niagara River catching the big ones, you, you know. The truth of it is, I never caught a thing. I wasn't even near water. You know, like, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm fishing. Like, you know, uh, and some of us have that, uh, you know, that ad. You got to go where the fish are. And uh, if you're not fishing, you're probably not following Jesus because that's what he's doing. I'm building my church. Don't want to mix the metaphors there, but I do. And he's building the church, and we're to be fishing for men and women. That's what we, and it means we need to reach out to them. We need to be winsome. We need to be available. We need to have a heart. We need to be praying. Uh, so that we can be grace community in our community. God has us here. Risking the reach. Listen, it's, uh, it's, sometimes it's called outreach. Have you noticed that? It's called outreach, not in suck. Okay? Outreach, not in suck. George Bush used to talk about there's a great sucking sound south of the border. And other, it's outreach. Okay? It's only natural as you and I do that that we invite them to come with us, of course. And they'll say, where do you worship? Well, I'm at Grace. Come with us. We'd love to have you. You'll love being here. It's a very unusual, wonderful group of people. But it's called outreach. We've got to go where the fish are. Uh, typically, fish are not in the castle, not even in the moat. Okay, that kind of stinks, that dead water area. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's dangerous out there. It is. I'll be the first to admit that. Now, Paul writes much about that in 2 Corinthians, all that he suffered for the gospel's sake. You can read it in uh, Matthew 10, 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Well, sometimes it's wolves, one sheep, nothing. Well, to do so is to be like God the Father. Why should we even care? To do so is to be exactly like Jesus. But even more so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for us to be missional as a church and individual is to be like the Apostle Paul, who lived his life impacting others for Jesus Christ. He was Christ to them. He was. For me to live as Christ uh, is a wonderful description of, of your life and mine. He lived his life impacting others for the gospel. Now look in uh, this text in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, this is a great text. Uh, Corinth was located, the city of Corinth was a, great, was a sailor town. It was an isthmus. It had a canal they eventually put through so the merchant ships in those days uh, could get through the canal. Uh, you think of the Panama Canal through Panama, that narrow strip of land. Well, that's where Corinth was located, uh, this uh, Greek city. And that, in Paul's day, they didn't have the canal. And can you believe it? What they did to save time was they would offload on land these merchant ships. Now, they weren't like the Queen E2 or something like that, you can imagine. And on rollers, they had a set of rollers. They would actually roll these ships across that narrow strip of land to get the other side 
uh, and then they would continue on with their sailing. So it was a great metropolitan city, prosperous, uh, was, was affluent, and more than that, it was known for their, uh, their uh, Olympian-style games. Now, they weren't Athens. Athens had the Olympiad every number of years. And in the off years, about every two, they had the Ismanian Games at Corinth. And so the Corinthians knew well, like the American sports-saturated culture, and we are, aren't we? We are, too much so. Uh, you know, we can be fanatic about the Redskins, but, you know, Jesus, we kind of whisper, Jesus, you know? And, and it sort of even permeates, it shouldn't be that way. But theirs was like our day, sports-saturated. So Paul, writing to them, talks about the spirit of the, uh, of the champion athlete. Who, who enters the contest always to win. He doesn't enter to lose. I will say that none, they didn't understand, they didn't have team events in that day, like team soccer or team football or basketball, that kind of thing. It was all individual events. And so the, the, uh, the athlete in that day, and actually, actually did you know in the Greek, uh, gymnasium comes from two Greek words. It means naked container. Did you know that? They, the Greeks, in their humanism, they, they were not squeamish about the body. You've seen some of their statues and all that, right? Uh, they practiced in the nude. Now, there's some things I'm, I'm thankful for, simple things like clothing, right? You know, putting on socks. I'm, st I'm starting to get them on here. The, we practice, right? Not like that. Although I did have a swim team. That's another story. We won't get into that. But they practiced that way, and they all knew that, and they all knew, and the athletes would practice according to the rules. They would enter the contest to win. They would do it to get a wreath that would perish. Uh, they were early made of celery that they would weave together, and in, in Corinth, they would uh, uh, later make them out of pine. Beautiful wreath. But Paul said in this text, they do it to get a crown that will perish. But we, and, he, and what he's saying is, we need to bring the spirit of the Olympian champion, the athlete, the spirit of winning to our desire to win men and women, lost, unsaved men and women to the gospel. That's what he's saying in this whole, whole section here. Look at verse 19, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave uh, to everyone to win as many as possible. There it is. There's his impact. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I, I myself am not under the law. So what? For what purpose? That I might win those under the law, Jews. In verse 21, to those not having the law, Gentiles. I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as, here's the purpose, to win those not having the law. So to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessing. And then he ends with this wonderful imagery of the, uh, the athlete in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. In other words, run to win, run to be successful. Everyone who competes in the games 
goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not become disqualified for the prize. Well, Paul says here, and I have it on your sheet, in the section, he brings the spirit of the Olympian athlete to the work of evangelism. In essence, and this is what he's saying, uh, I, Paul says, I will do anything short of sinning to win men and women, lost men and women, to Jesus Christ. It's his passion. It's his passion. First, to a Jew I became like a Jew, to win some Jews, verse 20. It means uh, uh, he would uh, not offend them. Uh, uh, he was born a Jew, he was a Jew of Jews, but, uh, and he would use the book, the Old Testament, to present Christ. Uh, and God would use him and did. But he was primarily the apostle to the Gentiles. And, uh, and so theirs was not the book. And so you look at Acts 17 at Athens, and there he's talking to the Athenian crowd in the Areopagus, presenting the resurrection of Jesus. And their need to believe, and some believed. He became a Gentile, right, that I might win some. So Paul moved out from the fortress into the world in, of his day for the purpose of winning lost men and women, boys and girls, to Jesus. Look, it can be messy, and it is. It can be dangerous, and it is. I'm not kidding you. It can be costly. It can cost our time and our treasure. But Paul did so. Uh, as Christ's epistle to the world, and we must do the same thing. Look, uh, cancer is a horrible thing. We always hear about uh, different ones getting cancer, this and that, and uh, those uh, words from the doctor, I mean, we're dying in the flesh. We're fading away, as it were. I'm not sure how that will come if the Lord tarries. But uh, what a thing. As the research goes on, they try and slow down this kind of cancer or that or stop it. And what, uh, what a great thing that is. The difficulty with cancer, as I understand it, is in the cell reproduction and all that, uh, in, 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 in bad cells or, or, or cells that are uh, abnormal reproducing, producing the, the, uh, the, the cancer, is that the uh, cancer is bound up in the very essence of life, cell reproduction. And uh, what causes that? How do we contain that? It makes it difficult. But imagine if uh, somebody discovered the cure to cancer. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be, that would be absolutely marvelous. But how horrible would that be? That if uh, they found the cure to cancer and never told anybody. I mean, that would be a, a sin against science. It would be a sin against humanity. And we would say, you see, bound up in the possession of the cure of cancer is the necessity to pass it on to others. Well, my friends, the gospel is the same way, if not even more so. For bound up in the possession of the gospel, the treasure of it that you and I have in Christ, is the necessity that's laid upon you and me to, to tell others about the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ alone. It is. We are morally obligated to do that. And so, therefore, we ought to care about our community, shouldn't we? Wow. Well, the second question, we're going to move fast now. Are we not as Christians to be separate from the world? Some will say that. Well, Pastor, that sounds great, but 
you know, aren't we distinct and to be separate from the world? Well, the answer is yes and no. And don't, don't elect me. I'm not running for office, right? <laughs> but yes, you're, we're, we're to be separate. We're, we're in this way, we're not to be conformed to the world in its immoral way of thinking, in its immoral practices, right? And so, yes, in that way, we are distinct. Distinctively different. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2, particularly 2. Stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so as we have transformed minds, and the mind of Christ is in us, we reach out to the world. And so, yes, don't have the world's mindset. Don't think the way the world thinks in its uh, uh, immorality and materialistic in its atheistic ways, selfish ways, prideful ways, all of these. No, we're not to think that way. And, but B, yes, yes, we are not to be conformed. No, however, B, we're not to be isolated from the world. Isolation hurts evangelism. And it leads to deadness in the church. Did you know that? It does. It leads to deadness in the church. We're not fishing, we're not following. If we're not fishing, we're probably fighting as a church. Just our tendency, and we all bear about a sin nature. And nothing like new blood, new salvation. I love to see all these chairs filled with folks that I came to saving faith in the Lord. Young and old, teens and younger, and young couples and older and seniors, and, and to, to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. It would electrify our church. And there are a lot of people around. A lot of people don't go to church. A lot of people don't know of Christ the Lord. A lot of people are blinded by sin, and they're dying. They're dying. And we exist primarily for the purpose of the unsaved, yet to be saved. Oh, may God help us in that. We are, to, we are number one, we're to be related to the world, our community, like Jesus was. And we went through some of that. The separation was not isolation, but distinction. He marched, certainly, to the beat of a different drum. Reminds me of, uh, perhaps some of you get Sports Illustrated, Tim Tebow. Did you see this? This is an outstanding. Steve, I bet you did. I mean, you guys love the Gators, Florida Gators. Tim Tebow, uh, Heisman Trophy winner a year ago, runner-up, I think, last year, senior this year, uh, tremendous godly man. He is in the world. He's probably the number one football player in the college in our country. Uh, I, always, I wore, when I played football, the, the black eyeshadow under the lights and all that. In his, in his, he has four Philippians 4.13 etched in the black shadow. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is, if you've not seen that, you ought to, you ought to find this, uh, this uh, uh, the article, July 2709, uh, SI. Uh, it's an incredible article of his love for Christ. Urban Meyer, his coach, is a, a foul-speaking man. They even quote him here, how t Tim's salt and light is changing the coach and his players. He unashamedly lives for Christ and impacts. God has given him a national scene now. And they're all picked for to be number one. I don't know if they're going to make it, but uh, he is a tremendous example of salt in the world. Reminds me a lot of, uh, of the hero of the chariots of, of fire. You know, his family is a missionary kid. I think it was Bangladesh. He, uh, they asked him the other day, are you going to remain a virgin to get married? Absolutely. And it almost put to shame the ones that asked. 
That is what the Lord Jesus requires. And that's, and you bet. Now, here's a man that walks to the beat of a different drum. He's a man that loves the Word. He's, he's a man having Bible studies with his team and teammates, and, and he's impacting many, many people. He's using the platform that God has given him now, whether he ends up in time being a missionary in far-flung places or, or a pastor. Who can say what he will be? But uh, you watch Tim Tebow. What a testimony he has. We need to pray for him. I mean, there are, Satan would love to trip him up and make a laughingstock out of him, but uh, we'll pray for him and see God's grace in his life. He is anything but being separate from the world, isn't he? He is distinct and distinctively different. Well, number two, we are to grow in our likeness to Jesus. How? Through Bible study. John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Listen, if you're going to try and do this, and uh, be careful. There are strong currents if you're not reading the Word, you could get swallowed up and eaten alive. Be careful. Read the Word. Mem- memorize it. Meditate on it. Hide it in your heart. And then with the other hand, reach out to those that are around you. Um, be careful. You don't want to get sucked down into the vortex of the sewer of our culture. And so three, we as individuals as a church... And both individually in our day-to-day life and us as a church must be cultivating contacts with non-Christians in our community. And here's a little tip. I said it earlier. Look, you'll never make big talk with people unless you make the small talk first. I found that to be true. Oh, occasionally. Very, very rarely. But you've got to talk about, you know, mice in the kitchen or peanut butter sandwiches or leaky roofs or you know, issues with weeds in your front lawn or, you know, things that people think about or, or, and worry about and all that. You've got, as you befriend them, you talk about stuff you'd probably rather not talk about. Not sinful stuff, just stuff that is odd and different, right? Well, we want to be all things to all people, and so we need to do You talk the little things, and in time, you'll earn the right to talk the big things. I see it in my own life with different relationships that I've been cultivating. You know, you talk about all kinds of things, things that they're interested in. And you sort of earn the right in time to cross. And as they ask you, the hope that's within you. And as you are praying for them and pursuing and looking for openings to bridge into their need of Christ and the gospel, God will give that. And so we must do that. Well, third and last question, how can we impact our community for Jesus? Well, we, uh, we must do it individually. We've already had a message on that. Make disciples as we scatter from the castle that will be Christ Jesus to all that we meet. It means uh, also that we'll be involved in activities with non-Christians so that we might allow the love of Christ to flow through us. And we need to do that. And some of these, as I mentioned, activities may seem odd to us, and some won't. Uh, A good example of that in my own life, there are many of them as I think of how God has used Faithy and I. I had the opportunity in a small uh, college town in Indiana, pastoring there, the high school needed a varsity uh, wrestling coach. And I had wrestled seven years in uh, high school, actually more than that, and uh, I saw the ad in the paper, and uh, they were under threat of not being able to have a uh, wrestling program. Indiana, everything's basketball, and you kind of get the kids on the other side of the track. You know, they carry their knives and everything else to school until they 
metal detectors. They frisk them at the door. They ended up on the wrestling team. And uh, I saw that, and we prayed about it. I talked to our guys about it, uh, the, the men at church. Uh, what do you think? And, uh, you know, and, uh, and so I did. They, they said, hey, let's do it. Maybe we can really impact the community. And, and I discovered it, all doors. I had a key to the high school, and it was like, hey, coach. And, and we reached people and befriended people in the high school, opened their arms. For four years, it was almost a close community to us. They didn't know your great-grandfather. You were new to town. They hand me the key as a varsity head wrestling coach. Uh, it was like the whole community opened to us. The, the principal asked me to speak at all kinds of things. Hey, you speak tonight. Would you speak a national honor inductee ceremony? Well, I'd be glad to do that, you know. <laughs> all kinds of doors opened and opportunities and sitting around big tournaments. The, the wrestlers would say, well, now, of course, you're a pastor, don't you? Yeah, I said, well, what about this thing with Jesus? What about that? So I would, we'd be watching wrestling, and I'd be talking about the resurrection while we were watching someone. Hey, let's look at that half Nelson there, you know, this and that. Yeah, now back to Jesus. We'd be talking about, you see? Yeah, and, and I, we had a youth pastor, and I brought him in, hired him as my assistant coach. He had coached, uh, he had wrestled in high school in the area there, and they knew him, and, and I'd beat him to death in practice, and they'd be gasping for air. I said, Okay, now sit down and be quiet now. Uh, Todd, uh, assistant coach, is going to tell you about a coming activity. You know, we were having it the, uh, at the church, and they were gasping for breath. Todd said, bring your girlfriends, bring them. they like, really? Come, yes. It was so great. I mean, it was an, a community had a need. I could have just stayed in my study and prayed and done my little churchy type things. But uh, I've discovered by taking a step out by faith, all kinds of doors opened. I was able to see some of those kids come to know Christ, to meet their family, to help counsel some heartbreak situations. I even married uh, one of the cheerleaders and one of our wrestlers. They got married, and uh, we built a new church by God's grace there. It was a beautiful hexagonal church, with, with wood, uh, and it had a baptistry, and they went in all night. We had a gym in the back we built, and we did all-nighters. And they bring their girlfriend. I just have to tell you this. They, they, they came, first time they came into the new church, they come, wow, this is nice. Everything smelled new, new carpeting, new wood, and the open beams going up. It was beautiful. And they come up to the platform, and they, they never, these guys never in church. Now, remember that. They come in, and we had a baptistry. You know, you know where you had the And he's looking in, and the, uh, one, one of the guys says, uh, Gene Dyson said, Coach, this is the greatest church I've ever seen. You've probably seen maybe two, right? I said, why do you say this? You have a jacuzzi in the church. <laughs> and I never told them otherwise. You know why, right? Who cares, right? But uh, you see what I mean? You just, you got to dare to reach and reach out individually. And you'd be surprised what God can do. Again, don't make people projects. You can smell that. It's phony. Love people authentically, genuinely, from the heart. And that's what God wants you to do. But he wants us also to do it as a church. And we want to design opportunities to work together uh, to meet the many needs in our community and in our world, to care for the poor. And we have poor, unemployed. People uh, have needs. We've tried to help that with our Jubilee Day and helping uh, families in town with several thousand dollars uh, a single mom and trying to help with that. And Raj went in the home and helped with furnishings and all that. It was our, our part of our monies that we collected to help in our community. So in other ways, with Jubilee Day, we want to help the poor and the needy, the hurty, the sick, the dying in our area. And trusting the Lord that through us, 
will be Christ, that we might win some to Jesus through it by genuinely, lovingly caring for people. I mean, some of the things that we've done in the past, you know, there's tutoring at boys' clubs. You know, somebody said, well, what can I do? I mean, boys and girls on both sides of the river need help. Maybe you know math a little better or reading, and you can spend an hour once a week and and help these uh, students and form a relationship. And maybe we can have some do that. And in prison ministries, we're already in there every week. You guys go in there so faithfully and work on discipleship. And uh, maybe some of you want to be involved with that and help. We've done clothes closets. I love that and pushed that for a lot of years where we brought in clothes. And then certain days of the week had open doors where folks in the community could come in and, and get children's clothes and in adult clothing, and be a blessing and a help, and for no charge, as long as they would use it. The clothes were cleaned and racked and kept, uh, uh, we, we bought, uh, in days gone by, gasoline and food for those that, that uh, have had need of that, people that were not part of our church. We boxed turkeys, and we've done uh, uh, boxes of toys and that for Christmas time, and gone door uh, in various neighborhoods, uh, uh, on both sides of the river to, to give to families that uh, couldn't afford to do that, along uh, you know, with an expression of love and who we are as a church, and, and to give a little gospel track included in that. And uh, we've mailed uh, Bibles out to prisoners. I appreciate so much, uh, uh, Violet, your, you gave me a wonderful handout, all kinds of uh, ideas and we want to incorporate some of these that we can do these as a church. So you, we, we want to impact the community individually. That's 24-7. But then we want to have as a church family uh, to where we band together. Maybe God has given you a heart for this. Uh, maybe it's uh, unwed moms who are, are pregnant, crisis pregnant. And maybe there are two or three of you, four. We can help with that. Or over to the Bethesda Mission to, to help box up uh, meals for those that are the homeless, or the prisons, or the, the daycare clubs we've done in our home for neighborhood children that don't go to church, don't know the gospel, and we've opened our home, and we've had and these kind of things. We have military issues. We could, on a monthly basis, uh, send boxes to the troops, and that's sort of out of our area, and, uh, but it's kind of a both end, but the primary, we want to focus here on uh, on uh, Thanksgiving outreach, Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Violet, you mentioned that. That's a great idea, and we've been a part of some of that in days gone by. Our family has, my son Greg. Uh, Christian Food Pantry, right across the way here is the New Hope Ministry. Uh, that uh, helps with a food pantry for those in need. And so I would just say, because we're out of time, uh, if there are some issues, some burdens that God has laid on your heart, they're the best way to happen. Say, Pastor, I'm really, really a burden about this, and then I would say, well, let's pray about it, and uh, maybe God would raise up a couple of others, three or four, five or six others, maybe a class or Bible study that can join you in that, and we can do that as a church uh, sort of blessing and being a blessing in our community. We want to do that. You see, listen, it's a ministry of grace and a ministry of mercy. They've got to be held in balance. Ministry of grace is wherever we teach the Word. All right, in small group, behind the pulpit, in worship, a ministry of grace. But it can't be only that. It has to be a ministry of mercy, too. That's the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ impacting our area. And we at Grace want to have both. It's a both and. 
We want to do that. Well, lessons for life. Number one, quickly and we're done. Resist the mentality. Have a castle mentality. Resist that. I know it feels good and we love being here, but resist that. We are called to move out, just like the troops. Move out. Onward, Christian soldiers. May we do that. Number two, make it your aim to cultivate friends with non-Christians so that they see Jesus in you. You're okay. I give you permission to do that. So you say, can we do that? I feel scared about that. Do it. God has built your personality, your experiences. Reach out to people. Do that. Don't be so focused. It's only you and maybe two others, okay, or your family. We resist that. We're very family-oriented, central. There are a lot of people around that God wants us to connect with. Number three. Number three, keep reading God's Word daily. Sanctify them in truth. Remember that, John 17, something? For this will keep you distinct. You quit doing that, you may get sucked into the vortex of the world system around. Be careful about that. Number four, we as a church will have opportunities in the days to come for impacting our community. It's grace community in our community. And God wants us to make a difference, to love people, to have hearts of compassion. And we, we need you to help, every one of you. So not all of you can preach and say, I don't want to do that, you know, or teach. But you all have gifts and abilities and interests. And God has strategically placed us. Number five and last. Perhaps uh, you're not a Christian. You're here and you've never trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior. Whether you're young or old, I've seen in my ministry a 90-year-old woman put her faith in Christ. Praise God. May God let her live that long. That she didn't close her eyes in death and be carried to hell. You need to be saved. Oh, you need to be saved. You know... You need to say, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. If I can help in that, that's what I want to do. Grace Community Church. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Community. Grace Community. Not some sort of fortress castle nonsense. Let's scatter like salt. Out of the salt shaker, okay, into the world. May God help us.